0: Let's open our Bibles this morning to Psalm 98. Now, I know you were expecting uh, one of the early chapters of Matthew, one of the early chapters of uh, Luke, where the Gospels give us a lot of details about the, the birth of Christ, uh, the, the message of the, to the shepherds and, and those around there. But it's appropriate for Psalm 98, because it is the basis for where we get uh, the great carol that we're going to sing right after this, Joy to the World. And, and you think, well, Psalm 98 and Joy to the World. Yes, and you'll see that in just a moment. And Joy to the World is one of the best known of our Christmas carols, which is kind of strange. Ah, Which is kind of strange. All right, let's stand if you're able and I'll read Psalm 98. Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, we ask that your Holy Spirit would descend upon us for understanding and insight into your word. Let these not be simply words on a page, Lord, but that they would be your word, that they would penetrate into our hearts, shape and form us into who you want us to be. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 98. O oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done wonderful things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained the victory for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his loving kindness and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. "'Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. "'Break forth and sing for joy and sing praises. "'Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, "'with the lyre and the sound of melody, "'with trumpets and the sound of the horn. "'Shout joyfully before the King, the Lord. "'Let the sea roar and all it contains, "'the world and those who dwell in it. "'Let the rivers clap their hands. "'Let the mountains sing together for joy "'before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth.' He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. The words of joy to the world, which we're going to look at in just a moment, are Isaac's Watts rendering of Psalm 98. Now, Isaac Watts is regarded as one of the finest hymn writers uh, in history. And, and hymns like, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, Jesus shall reign where the sun, uh, when I survey the wondrous cross, O God our help ages past, things like that. He, he, he wrote many, many hymns. And this one was first published in 1719, uh, but it had a different melody. Uh, and about a hundred years later, in fact, let's look it up right now. Grab your hymnal 181. So you've got two books out now. I know. It's very complex today. Very complex. 181. When you, when you get to, to Joy to the World, look down at the bottom of the page, hymn number 181, and you can see the words are by Isaac Watts. Now, the music, the tune that we use today, was a compilation by Lowell Mason, that you can see his name down there, arrangement Lowell Mason, of some handle work from the Messiah. So some of these themes that were taken from the Messiah were, were placed into this one, and the tune that, it was, that Mason wrote was called over on the other side at the bottom, Antioch. <laughs> That's the name of the tune that we sing to Joy to the World. And, and uh, Mason had written this tune And he kind of held on to it for quite a while because he was looking for just the right words to put to this tune, which he loved so much. And along comes this tune that Isaac Watts had written about a hundred years previously, Joy to the World. So they matched them up, and that is what we sing today. Um, Again, Mason looked for many years before he found just the right words. Now, Psalm 98, you can put your hymnals away. Uh, Psalm 98 is about salvation. That's one of the reasons why we sing it here in the Advent season. It's about salvation in the past, it's about salvation in the future that is yet to come. Now, it's appropriate that we apply what we read in Psalm 98 to Christ. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, it was the fulfillment of the prophecy. We think of Micah chapter 5, verse 2. The angels proclaimed to the shepherds what we had read earlier. Um, And and, and the terms that we see in in Luke chapter 2 Uh, good news, great joy, all the people, people, a Savior, Christ the Lord. So the hymn, Joy to the World, is Isaac Watt's rendering of this Psalm 98. And what is ironic in all of this is. Watts never meant this to be about the birth of Christ. He meant it to be about the second coming of Christ, about the second coming. So this is not, in in its intent, an advent hymn. It's a second coming hymn. But we don't get the second coming unless we get the first coming, and the first coming brought great joy. So we're excited about that. Now. Isaac Watts, if we would just take a moment and, and uh, think about Isaac Watts. He was something of a uh, poetic and musical prodigy of his day. He was a pretty big brain, and he had a lot of other th- uh, irons in the fires as well. But most people in his day, in the nonconformist church in which he was growing up, sang only metered songs, And they were psalms, and they would sing it just as they were written. And, and, and the tune was kind of... Uh, um, has anybody been to a church before where they sang only the Psalms, and there was no accompaniment to it? Okay. When I was in Scotland, I went to um, a Covenanters church, and uh, a guy stood up front, and he said, we're going to sing Psalm 98, and he would start off in the tune, and everybody knew the tune. There were... Fifteen people in the church. But all fifteen knew the tune. And then they say, well, now turn over and we're going to sing this song. He said, Sam. He said, we're going to sing the psalm Like that. And, and he, but everybody knew the tune. Oh, I do not know the tune. Um, but that's the way they would sing it. Well, this is what, kind of what they were doing in Isaac's Watt's day. And he's fifteen. You know, he knew everything at fifteen, of course. So he goes to his dad and says, Dad, the music we're singing in church is just stinky. And he said, well, write something better. So, for next Sunday, he did. He wrote a hymn with a tune for the next Sunday, and they sang it in church, and everybody loved it. And his dad said, Okay, do it again. And for the next several years, he wrote a hymn every week that they would sing in worship. Okay? Ah, smart Alec. That's what happens. Okay? So, now we get to Psalm 98, and Psalm 98 is where we get, as I said, joy to the world. But joy to the world comes from the last section of it. Now there are three verses to joy to the world that we never sing, because they are the first they come from the the, those three verses come from the first section of Psalm ninety eight. So I'm gonna sing a little bit for you uh, because you can use the same tune, Antioch, to the first section. To our almighty maker God, new honors be addressed. His great salvation shines abroad and makes the nations blessed. And makes the nations blessed. So that's the first verse. He spake the truth. He spake the word to Abram first. His truth fulfills the grace. The Gentiles make his name their trust. And learn his righteousness and learn. You never heard those, did you? No. Nobody sings those. We sing the joy to the world, the Lord. We sing those portions uh, because that better fits the first coming of Christ. The first coming of Christ. The, 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 the words in the beginning give praise to the God who has brought salvation. And specifically, the first section of Psalm 98 is talking about salvation past. And that's what we're going to start on um, as we look at this. Now, we understand that, that salvation, um, the, the coming of Christ, brings salvation. That's why he came the first time. John 3:17. Okay I know we, we, we all measure, memorize John 3:16, but what does John 3:17 say? For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that in order the world might be saved. The first time he comes is for salvation. Next time it is for judgment.? Okay, So next time he comes, you'll see Christ in the air. Everybody, everywhere in the world, will see him in the air at the same time. How's that possible? I don't know. It's just what it says. It will happen like that. At that point, you can't go, oh, what Randy said in church was true. Jesus has come. Now I'm going to believe. Sorry. It's too late then. Today is the day of salvation. Okay? He has come the first time for salvation. When you see him in the clouds in the air, that's judgment. That is judgment. Okay? So, Let's look at what Psalm 98 is calling us to sing about salvation. And it uses language here that unmistakably points us back to the time of the Exodus. Because that was the moment of salvation for God's people. Okay, so let's look at verse 1. Sing unto the Lord a new song, for he has done wonderful things. Wonderful things is a code phrase in the Old Testament for a term that the prophets used many times to describe the miracles that the Lord did, the miraculous things, especially the things around the time of the Exodus. Now, if we look at Scripture, the, the big miracles, uh, I know that sounds strange, the big miracles. Uh, any miracle is big. Okay? A miracle is the ceasing of functioning of the regular world, God intervenes and does something completely out of the ordinary, and then the world picks up again as it normally functions. We get to the Red Sea. This is where it, it starts. OK? The Egyptians are chasing the Israelites. They get to the edge of the Red Sea. There is no hope, there's an army there, there's a sea there. And what happens? God intervenes. The regular functioning of the world ceases. The sea parts. They go across, what, in the muck and the mire of the bottom of the, no, across the sea on dry land. They get to the other side. What happens? The regular functioning returns, and it just happens to return at the appropriate moment when Pharaoh and his whole army is in the middle of the Red Sea. They're wiped out. His people are delivered. That's just the way that works. It's the way God's miracle works. So he's saying God has done wonderful things, so he has delivered his people. Now, That was just one of the miraculous things. How many plagues were there? Ten. Um, Why were there ten plagues? Because, you could say because that's the way God wanted it. That, That would be appropriate. That's a good answer. But there were ten major gods that the Egyptians had. Each plague destroys one of their gods. Okay, it really wipes out. And then the last plague, the tenth one, is the death of the firstborn, the death of a pharaoh. A pharaoh was God. A pharaoh was God. Now, Chris, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Afterwards, if you want to understand the plague of the frogs, ask Chris Preston. Okay, he knows all about the plague of the frogs. But that was God, in a sense, destroying each of the Egyptian gods in order. He has done wonderful and powerful things. So that's the first one that we are to be joyful and grateful for. Secondly, there in verse 1, his right hand and his holy arm have gained the victory for him. Now, you remember what Moses tells the people at the Red Sea? Or if you're doing theology by cinema, Charlton Heston, he stands there, the wind blows in his face and the beard, and he says, behold, and see the work of the Lord. Okay? Okay. What about the Israelites? What did they do? They cowered back there. Who was doing the work of salvation? It was God. What did the Israelites add to their saving? Complaining, you know? Oh, man, we're stuck at the Red Sea. Looks like we're going to die. We should have stayed there. Let's go back and be slaves. And then they get across the Red Sea, and what do they say? Well, we're so hungry. Let's go back into slavery and eat the onions and the garlic. You know? <laughs> What did they contribute to their salvation? Nothing there. The work was entirely that of the Lord. The victory over Egypt was entirely the work of the Lord. Give thanks. Have great joy for the work of the Lord. Let's look at verse 2. The Lord has made known his salvation. In other words, the very act of God's redeeming his people shows us what God is like. It shows us his character. He has given us a glimpse into his character. And what is he like? He is a gracious and merciful God. The problem was not that Egypt was sinful and Israel was righteous and poor Israel was just being held captive. And it was a terrible thing to impose upon all those nice, righteous, religious people by those bad Egyptians. No. Israelites tried to worship other gods. They fell into idolatry again and again and again, even as God is saving them. Remember, they get across the Red Sea, and, and what do they do? Let's get some gold and make an idol, okay? That'll be our God. Oh. He showed that if you're going to get saved, it's not because you're good. It's because he is good. It's because he is. Is gracious. It's because he is merciful. God revealed his own graciousness in saving these sinful Israelites. God has shown his own gracefulness in saving these stupid Presbyterians. Okay? That's what he does. Are we worth it? No. But yet God does it. He makes us worth it. He makes us that way. Again, he revealed his righteousness where? In the sight of the nations, he has put right all things wrong in view of the entire world. In view of the entire world. We take the picture of Israel being brought out of Egypt. And though the Pharaoh claimed to be a god, though Pharaoh claimed to have a right over these people, the Lord said, these are my people. You may claim anything you want. I'm going to take them from you because they belong to me. And he forcibly took them from him. It wasn't like Pharaoh was willing, you know, until he was, even after all the things happened, you know, and Pharaoh hardened his heart. And and he said, yeah, go ahead. Then he changed his mind. And then as they were out, he chased after them to get them. The Lord said, no, these are my people. I am taking them out of bondage. And I want everybody to understand that Pharaoh has no power, no authority, no control that I, the Lord, And And he has revealed this in the sight of the nations. And then fifthly, he has remembered, verse 3, he has remembered his loving kindness and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. In other words, he remembered his promises. Now, God is a God who makes a promise. He makes a covenant and he keeps it. If God has said it, you can count on it. It will come to pass. Back in Genesis chapter 15... He says to Abram, he says, your descendants, basically I'm going to paraphrase, your descendants are going to go down to Egypt, 400 plus years, they're going to be held in captivity, I will deliver them. I will deliver them. That was the promise. So when Israel comes out, they can say the Lord has done exactly what he said. When they are delivered in the Exodus, the Lord had done exactly what he promised to do. He remembered his loving kindness. He remembered his grace. He remembered his faithfulness to Israel. And that never changes. When he says, I'm going to be gracious to whom I am going to be gracious to, that graciousness comes. When he says, I'm going to save you, he saves you. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't take it back. He doesn't go, oh, well, you really haven't been cutting it this last week, so you're out. None of that. He extends his graciousness to you, and he keeps his promise. Later, Moses asked God to show him his glory. And the Lord says, I'll make myself, Exodus 33, I myself, will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. God will be gracious. God will show compassion on whom he chooses. That is his sovereign choice. And number six, the last thing of this this first section, uh, which we don't sing about, but we should be singing about it, All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. All the ends of the earth. So what he is saying is all the Gentiles know about God's power. And you say, do we see any evidence of that? Yes, we do. The two easy ones for us. Um, Remember, they're coming up to Jericho. And who's their one contact in Jericho? Rahab. And what does she say? We've heard about your God, and I'm believing. The rest aren't, but I'm believing. And she protects them. I've heard about your God. There's another group of people. When they get into the land of Canaan, there's this group of weary travelers that come to see Joshua. Okay, And they look, their clothes are tattered, their food is spoiled, they're out of water. It's like they've been walking for weeks and weeks, and they get there just in time. And they're called the Gibeonites. And that was all a show. Because they really lived basically around the corner from where the Israelites were. But they had heard of what the Israelite God had done to Jericho. Dei, at the Red Sea. They had heard all of these things before. And they said, we are afraid. Or we were afraid. So what they did is they misrepresented themselves and made a covenant with the Israelites. And then when the Israelites found out that they actually were living in the land that they were promised, um, they were quite upset. Um, And as you can imagine, because they had been tricked. So the Gibeonites survived. Remember, Joshua wiped out everybody else, but the Gibeonites survived. But they became slaves within the Israelite world. Okay. So that's the first part. Why do we give thanks to the Lord? He has done these great things. Look back at salvation. Look forward at the coming of Christ and the salvation that he brings. So why do we sing this song at Christmas? It's clearly about the second coming. Shout joyfully to the Lord, verse 4. All the earth, break forth and sing for joy and sing praises. This is the time when the full expression of Christ's glory and the full expression of our joy will be revealed at the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ. And you don't get a second without the first. So the song that we sing, Joy to the World, is all about the fulfillment of what Christ came to do in the first place. Christmas is a time to look back at the grace that has been given to us about the past birth of Christ. It's a time to look forward forward Now understand the tense that I'm going to use here. To look forward to the grace that was accomplished and is guaranteed and awaits us. There's an inheritance that has been stored up for you in heaven. It is the full inheritance. Randy gets a full inheritance. Everybody else gets a full inheritance too. I have three daughters. Unless one of them really upsets me, our inheritance is going to be split three ways. Watch out, yeah. okay? Yeah. <laughs> so, But that's the way that it works, except in heaven, where all of us get all of it. Now, that just doesn't compute in our minds, but that's the way it is. It's an inheritance that is saved up for all of us. It is this grace that awaits us. And when we sing these words, we're proclaiming a joy that is yet to be revealed, but is guaranteed. Is guaranteed. God has promised it. It guarantees it. Revelation chapter 19. Let's turn there. Revelation chapter 19. 1911. 1911. This describes the joy. Describes the coming of the Lord. He is the conquering King, the one who has come first to save, second time to judge. Now rules in all authority. All things are at his footstool. Um, he comes as the one with all power. Revelation nineteen eleven. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat upon it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. And his eyes are a flame of fire, and upon his head are many diadems. And he has a name written upon him which no one knows except himself. And he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may smite the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is Jesus Christ. He is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. The angel comes to Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. Fear not, I bring you what? Good news of great joy for whom? For all the people. It's joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let who? Every heart prepare. Every heart. Every heart. The baby that was born in Bethlehem was born to die in our place. He lived a life of obedience. Total obedience to his father. He fulfilled every requirement of the law. He went to the cross. He received the wrath that was deserved for our sin. He died to purchase that joy that the angels announced in Luke chapter 2, which we read earlier. Three days later, he rose from the dead. The firstborn, all of us are coming out of the grave who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We go to the cemetery, usually at the end of a service, because it is from there that that body will rise to glory. The Bible's pointing to him. The Bible's pointing to the babe born in the manger, the preacher of the good news, the declarer of the things of the gospel and the kingdom, the one who is crucified, the one who is the conquering king, the one who is the joy of the world. And after they left, the shepherds what? They worshiped him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy. He rules the world with truth and grace. It makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. And why does all creation sing for joy? Because the Lord is coming to judge all the nations. He's going to judge all the evil in the world. He's going to make all things right. And when the Lord comes as judge, he will judge in absolute fairness. Because he is all-knowing, so he will always make the right decision. He is all-powerful, so he will be able to execute the proper judgment in all areas. He is loving, and so he has provided a way of escape for those who are called according to his purposes, those who believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He restores all things, which is why creation rejoices. Even creation is tainted by sin. But at Christ's return, it will be restored. Sin and evil will be no more. Every false religion will be exposed. Every violation of God's will will be judged. And every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's pray. Lord, the joy that you call us to have is a joy that can only come when you do the work in our lives. It is a joy that we can only know when you come and save us. Just like the Israelites. We don't deserve salvation, but yet you come and do it. You come and give us new hearts. You come and redeem us from our sin. You come and wash away those things. Lord, it is a joy that is unspeakable. It is a joy that that should cause us to shout and, and to, to sing and, and to just let those around us know what is really taken place in our hearts. For Christ has come into the world. He who knew no sin became sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. This is the joy of the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.